want us to pray as a congregation this morning. Uh, Augustine Gomez had a stroke. I think uh, either Friday evening, but by Saturday he was in the hospital. And he uh, had a headache and started kind of getting double vision. They took him to the hospital and they realized that he was having a stroke. They put him in an ambulance. He fell asleep in the ambulance on his way to the hospital and has not uh, woken up. Uh, he's got a bleed in his brain. They have not been able to stop it. And this is what the doctors are saying. And, um, and so he's been basically comatose now since uh, he entered the hospital. And um, so we want to pray uh, for a miracle. Um, I've been, I was with the family much of the day yesterday. They're doing really well. You know, they're, they're a family of great faith. And uh, they know whether God raises up Augustine or whether Augustine goes home to be with the Lord, they know Augustine is saved. Um, and they know that um, they're not worried about him. And they're trusting that the Lord's will uh, is going to be done. So we want to pray for Augustine. We also want to pray for the family. And uh, they've got a large family and uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of extended family that were very close uh, to Tino and, and Yolanda. So let's pray. Father, we just lift up this family to you, and, and Lord, you know better than anybody exactly what's going on here. Father, uh, I was so encouraged yesterday by the faith of this family. Lord, uh, they're sad, and they're still believing and trusting, knowing, God, that you are greater than, than a stroke. You're greater than any physical uh, ailment that could possibly uh, handicap us. Lord, you can uh, remove blood from a brain and restore brain tissue. Lord, we know you're able to do that. Father, uh, we just thank you that Tino is in your hands. And I thank you that this family knows that he is in the care of his Savior. And Father, I just thank you that the witness this family has been to the doctors and the nurses, to so many people, Lord, that have been uh, encouraged by their faith in God. Lord, we pray today uh, that, Lord, if you see fit to raise this man up, Lord, we absolutely believe that you can do it. And Father, I pray for that wife and those children and all the extended family, Father, we pray that your peace would be their portion, that your joy would be their strength, that they would, Father God, know the peace that passes understanding. For those members of the family, Lord, that don't know Christ, that are not in faith, don't have the same assurance that they have, Father, I pray that their faith would be a witness to them, that their steadfastness would be a witness, Lord, a tower of strength in this very difficult time. Father, we just uh, thank you that they are in your care and there is no one that loves them more than you do. Lord, we pray your peace and provision be theirs in Jesus' name. Amen. Just continue to pray for the Gomez family and um, we'll let you know if uh, as things develop. Amen. Open your Bible to Matthew, the third chapter. Today we're going to talk about the power of repentance and peace. The power of repentance and peace. Anybody need a message, God? If you don't have a message, God, raise your hand. 
And we'll make sure that you guys get one. Anybody need one? Anyone need one? Everybody's got one? All right. The power of repentance and peace. Advent is a season of preparation. Remember the word Advent means coming or arrival. And this is the season that we celebrate the coming, the arrival of Jesus. Not just His first coming, but His second coming. And so, it's also a time in which we look forward. So, it's a season of preparation, preparing us for Christmas, helping us understand and rightly discern the impact and all that His coming applies. And so, we talked about two forerunners to prepare us for Christmas, and one was the apocalypse. And In Life Groups Friday night, we talked about this. If I say the word apocalypse... What's the image that comes to your mind? And, and uh, one person said, thermonuclear war. And I said, you know, that is the reality that most people have. When we hear the word apocalypse, the, um, the image that immediately comes to our mind is this, this worldwide massive destruction that's going to take place. That's not what the word apocalypse means. The word apocalypse means a revealing, an unveiling. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of the destruction of the world. That book was written to reveal Christ to us, not to reveal destruction. Christ didn't come to destroy the world, He came to save the world. And so, when we celebrate His coming, when we remember that, and we proclaim that, it is all about His unveiling, the revelation of who He is. And so, it is about keeping in view the future. The apocalypse is keeping in view the future. This is why as we celebrate Advent, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we also look forward, we keep in view the future. And we said this is important because if Jesus coming again, if He's not coming again, if there's not a second Advent, then there's really not much point in celebrating His first Advent or remembering His birth. We remember His birth because there is the promise of Him coming again. So the first advent of Christ is drained of meaning if the second advent is diminished or denied. Amen? So keeping the future in view, it's also important for this reason. Keeping the future in view through the light of truth. Now that's an important caveat right there. You can keep the future in view in the light of your opinion or in the light of what you think or what someone has told you, but we need to keep the future in view in the light of truth. And when we do this, when we keep the future in view in the light of truth, it provides proper perspective for our lives. Keeping in view the future in the light of truth provides proper perspective. Perspective is very important. If we don't have the right perspective in life, then our what we are seeing and what we are perceiving can mean something vastly different than what it is in reality. Have you guys ever seen, you know, when you came to Dr. Larry's presentations, remember he did the one, um, one of the presentations, he showed all the pictures of those weird uh, shapes in South America, off the coast of South America there. And so if you're on the ground walking these little bitty dirt paths, they don't mean much to you. But, but when you get the proper perspective, you see spiders and bugs and that are just massive. Well, you, you could never see that if you don't have the right perspective. Sometimes we live life 
and we're so myopic, we're so snapshot-oriented, we can't get the big picture, and we get lost in the details or the circumstances of our life, and we lose perspective, and we become overwhelmed by the circumstances of our life or the situations of our life. That happens when we, when we don't have proper perspective. When we live keeping the future in view in the light of truth, it helps us to live life with a proper perspective. This is why Paul was able to say what he said to the Romans when he says, we glory also in tribulation. When he said, this light affliction is but for a moment. How could he say that? He was able to say that because he had the proper perspective. Because he was looking at life through the light of truth. And it gave him a view of the future and it gave him a perspective on life that enabled him to make such hopeful statements even in the midst of imprisonment or torture or persecution. Amen? Who's cold? It's pretty chilly in here. I'm even a little cold. You might bump that up just a little bit in a couple of degrees and it'll make that thing go off. I, I'm sorry. I could wear my hat and it would keep my head warm, but... All right, so proper perspective is important, right? It's, it's very important. So the other thing that we talk about, the forerunners that prepare us for Christmas, was John the Baptist. Remember, we, John the Baptist is a character we never see in the nativity scenes. We never see John on the Christmas cards, yet John is a necessary Advent forerunner for Jesus. And why is this? Because Jesus came to die for our sins. And, and we need to acknowledge that we have sins in the first place to be ready to welcome the arrival of Jesus. So, this little analogy that's in your message guide, think of it this way. If a plumber showed up at your house one day, knocked on your door, and you open the door, and there's the plumber, he says, I'm, I'm here to fix your plumbing. And you say, huh, I don't have any plumbing leaks, I don't have any plumbing problems, you would send the plumber away, right? Because you couldn't figure out why the plumber was at your door. But if someone knocked on your door and you opened the door and there was a plumber standing there and you were in the midst of trying to mop up water because of your leaky pipes or your plumbing problem, you grab that plumber and pull him in the house and say, thank God you're here. How did you know that I had a plumbing problem? See, this is what John did. This is why John went before Jesus. And this is why his message was a message of repentance. So that when Jesus arrived on the scene, the people would know that they needed Jesus. You knew when you had a plumbing problem, when your plumbing problem became apparent, you knew you needed a plumber. When your sin problem becomes apparent, you know you need a Savior. And so this is why John went before Christ. John gets us ready for Jesus by showing us our sins so that when Jesus arrives on the scene, we will seize on Him as the only one who can help us. And that's why John's message of repentance preceded Christ and why repentance is central to the message of His coming. So Jesus makes this statement in the Gospels. He says, When the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on the earth? Uh, that's a question Jesus is asking. It's a question that we need to be aware of. And, and I can't answer that question for you, but I need to be able to answer that question for me. When Jesus 
returns, when the Son of Man comes, if I am still on this earth, will he find faith in me? That's a question I need to answer. And the answer to that question involves repentance. Amen? Say amen. All right. Matthew 3, I'll give you some time. Have you found it yet? Let's, I'm just going to read. Uh, it's, it's not a real long chapter, but I want to read. We're going to read Matthew chapter 3. And uh, just follow with me in your Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version. I don't know what version you have, but it'll be, if it's not the same, it'll be real close. All right? Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. By the way, he didn't buy that at a high-end men's store. I actually heard someone teach that one time. He didn't, okay? Um, With a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. That's a lot of people. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. Do you know what he just called them? He called them snakes. Now you might not understand the significance of that, but don't think for one moment it was not lost on those Pharisees and Sadducees that he just called them the very thing that caused Adam and Eve to fall in the garden. He just equated them with Satan himself. You brood of vipers, you snakes. Now that's how to win friends and influence people right there. Now he, see, he wasn't trying to win friends and influence people. He was preparing the way for the Christ to come, and he wanted men and women, he wanted people to know that they needed a Savior when the Savior showed up on the scene. Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And are you coming to me? John recognized who he was. And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. 
Then he allowed him, verse 16, And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew chapter 3, we see a call to repent and we also see a sign of peace. Now this is important. Remember last week we talked about hope. And we said that God, even in the midst of pronouncing judgment upon Israel, always gave them hope. God never leaves us without hope. No matter how dire the circumstance may be, no matter how dark it may seem, I'm telling you what, God never leaves us without hope. There is always a light that will come in the midst of the darkness. And here, John's message of repentance, I I don't know if we are really truly able to grasp the magnitude and the passion uh, John is using in, in declaring this message. I mean, he is stirred up and he is passionate about the spiritual lukewarmness, the hypocrisy, the injustice, the perversion of God's word and what God sent to reveal Christ. These men had taken and created their own system of righteousness, of self-righteousness, and John didn't want to have anything to do with it. He said, your religious credentials... Your genealogies, your lineage mean nothing to me. I'm telling you what, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. If you guys don't get your act together, when he comes, he's going to cut the tree down and it will be cast into the fire and you shall be burned up with unquenchable fire. That's what he's telling them. I mean, John is not mixing, he's not mincing any words here whatsoever. But yet in the midst of that passionate declaration in this plea to repent from their wickedness and from their sin, He gives them, God gives them this sign of hope, this sign of peace. When Jesus is baptized and He comes up out of the Jordan, there alights upon Him a dove, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. It was a sign that this is the Christ. This is the Anointed One. And it was also a sign of peace. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, a little bit in just a moment. But I want to talk about this word repent. To repent is to think differently. This is literally what this word means. It's a two-part word. It's a word in the Greek, meta, noeo. And it means, meta means transformation, like our word metamorphosis. Meta means transformation. Neos means mind. And it literally means the transforming of the mind. It means to think differently. That's literally what the word means. So repentance, at its very root meaning, it means to think differently. So mind here, we need to understand, we think of mind in terms of our brain and our intellectual capability. But we need to understand that in in the days that the Scripture were written, the mind was was much greater than that. It it meant much more than just our intellectual capability, our our, our ability to, to think rationally. Mind here doesn't just mean our brain. It's the innermost consciousness. 
It's the region that lies both below our rational thought and our emotions. This is why the Scripture talks about the heart. When it talks about the heart, it's not talking about this organ, this muscle that's pumping blood through your body. It's talking about the, the essence you're, of who you are, why you think the way you think, why you do the things you do. This is, this is your mind. Your mind causes you to do these things. And so the word repent means a change. It means your mind thinking differently, your mind being turned, being transformed. Repentance is the realization that of the depth of our sin, that sin is not just based on what I do or what I don't do, but sin goes to the very depth, the very core of my nature. I am sinful to the very core. I was born in sin. I was born with a sin nature. And so repentance is the realization that the depth of our sin goes to the very core of our nature and that we must be transformed by the power of God. You can't transform yourself. I can't transform myself. We've got to be transformed by the power of God. You're not going to just change your thinking because you will it to be so. Listen, apart from the power of God, you're not going to change anything. But repentance is very important because we must repent. We must come to think differently. So repentance is much more than a change in outward behavior. It was said this way, repentance is great understanding. And you guys have heard me encourage you in this before. As you read the New Testament, as you read the epistles, you see how many times the prayer was, was pinned that the eyes of your understanding, that you would comprehend, that you would know. Why? Because repentance is great understanding. Repentance is a transformation in our mind that yields the fruits of repentance in our life. Repentance, I'm going to say that again, repentance is a transformation in our mind that yields the fruits of repentance in our life. Or we could say it like this, you will never live differently until you think differently. And you can live differently, but unless you begin to think differently, your living differently is going to be very short term. So to repent is to think differently. Romans 12.2 Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Repentance involves being transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you think, as your thinking is being transformed, you are no longer being conformed to the world. You are being transformed and conformed to Christ. So that tells us where our thinking, what our thinking needs to be or who our thinking needs to be conformed to, right? It needs to be conformed to Christ. So here in Matthew 3, 8, repentance, we see that John says this, therefore bear fruits. He tells the Pharisees, don't just come out here and gawk at me and wonder what I'm doing. He said, if you come out here, then bear the fruits of repentance. Therefore bear the fruits worthy of repentance. There are no fruits of repentance apart from faith. Fruits of repentance, it, it is a changed life. Eventually, if I have come to faith, if I am, 
If my life is flowing from the root, the true root, if I'm a branch connected to the true vine, eventually that life in that vine, that life from that root will produce fruit. It will do it. Jesus promised that it would. And so repentance produces the fruit of a changed life. But there are no fruits of repentance apart from faith. The second thing is this, to repent is to acknowledge our need. Now, I could have used the word sin there, and the word sin is very appropriate. But our need goes beyond just our sinfulness. It begins with our sinfulness. Now, let me explain. The need to repent is not only for our sin or sinful behavior. Our confession or our acknowledgement must be our need of Him for and in all things. Would you guys agree? If you're born again today, the blood of Jesus has taken away your sin. You are redeemed. John says it this way, in this love has been perfected in 1 John 4, 16, that in the day of judgment, as He is, so are we in this world. How in the world is that possible? Well, Jesus did that. So I don't have a sin problem anymore in that respect, but, but I can't say I don't need Him, can I? I absolutely need Him. I better be connected to Him. I better have His life. I need Him every moment of every day. We all need Him every moment of every day. And so our confession to repent is to acknowledge our need. I need to realize that I have a need. And my life should be lived accordingly. So the need to repent is not just about our sin or sinful behavior. It's our acknowledgement that we need Him for and in all things. It is our utter dependency upon Him. So our confession is an acknowledgement of our need. In Christ, our sins are taken away, but we are never without need of Him, of His grace, and of His mercy. Amen, church? We absolutely need that every moment of every day. It is the grace of God that gives us the, the power and the ability to do the will of God, to live our life every day, to carry on every day. It's the grace of God that gives us the ability to do that. Anyone that's not in Christ is not in faith. If they're not in faith, they're in unbelief. And if they're in unbelief, then they're in their sin, and you better believe. They need to acknowledge their sin. They're in sin, they're in death, and they need to repent. They're in need of repentance. We all, at all times, are in need. We are, at all times, church, in need of Him. If you're born again today and you are in His grip of grace, you need Him. If you're not born again today and you are in the grip of death that sin has on your life, do you understand that you need Him? We need Him. In our lives, in our lives, we should willingly, humbly acknowledge our need of Him in all things. Romans 3.23, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we can say that all are in need. Matthew 3, 5 and 6, the people went out, it says, to John. And they were baptized, and as they were baptized, the Scripture says they were baptized, and they were confessing their sins. 
Or we could say it like this, they were acknowledging their need of repentance, their need of a Savior, their need of the Messiah. John 15, 5, Jesus declared our need of Him when He said, without me you can do nothing. If we are not a branch connected to the vine, we can never, we have no hope of ever producing fruit. Jesus was very forthright, very blatant when He made this statement, without me you can do nothing. This needs to be our mind, church. This must be our mind. So to repent is to think differently. To repent is to acknowledge our need of Him. To repent is to know His peace. Remember, we're talking about the power of repentance and peace. To repent is to know His peace. With John's call to repent came a sign of peace. It was the dove that came down and and alighted on Jesus as the sign that He was the anointed one. You see through the Scripture that that the dove, this is why today the dove is is a universal sign of peace. So with the call to repent, the signs of God's peace follow Jesus from the beginning to the end of His advent. Let's just look at a few places in Scripture. In the course of Jesus' earthly ministry, His earthly life here, for 33 some odd years, Jesus walked on planet earth. He was born that night in Bethlehem. He was laid in a manger. And some 33 years later, he was crucified on a cross. And throughout his span of life here on this earth, God gave the signs of peace that accompanied the life and the ministry of Jesus. Luke 2.14, at the beginning of his life on earth, just after his birth that night, a multitude of the heavenly host declared, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill, Toward men. God declared His peace to us that night, just after His Son was born. At the beginning of His earthly ministry, we fast forward now 30 years. At the age of 30, Jesus was baptized by John in the River Jordan. And at the beginning of his earthly ministry, just after his baptism, we just read the scripture. The scripture says, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. God not only declaring, this is my anointed Christ, this is my anointed Son, but God reaffirming the peace that he proclaimed that night of his birth. Now let's go forward three some odd years, three and a half years to the end of His earthly ministry, just before His death, just before His crucifixion. Turn over to John 14. John 14, 25. Jesus is telling His disciples these things. This is between the Passover meal and his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is speaking these words, and it is literally hours before his suffering and scourging begins. 
and ulti- that will ultimately lead to His crucifixion that next day. This is the night before His crucifixion. John 14, 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. There was a reason why that Spirit came in the form of a dove. It represented the peace of God, the power of God, the anointing of God, the promise of God. And Jesus is telling His disciples, listen guys, I'm going away, but I am going to send the Spirit of God to you. He was reaffirming this, reaffirming this over and over and over. And He listed everything that the Holy Spirit would do in His stead. He said, I've got to go away so that I can send the Spirit of Truth, the Comforter. And He said, I'm going to send Him to you. And He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, do I give you peace. I don't give you the same kind of peace the world's going to give you. I'm going to give you my peace. My peace I give to you. Let not your heart... Let not your mind, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe in me. And so, Jesus leaves them this hope of His peace. He says, I'm leaving you my peace. There is a link between His peace and the Spirit of God. Then we come to the end of of after His resurrection, at the end of His first advent, before His ascension, but after His resurrection. Let's turn over there, John 20, while you're in John. And eight days prior to this incident, Jesus had appeared to His disciples, but Thomas was not there. And when Thomas came back, they said, Oh, Jesus appeared to us. And He said, I'm not going to believe it. Not unless I can see him with my own eyes. Not unless I can handle him with my own hands. I'm not believing it. Well, eight days after that appearance to his disciples, John 20, 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. You guys understand what just happened? Jesus didn't walk through the door. He didn't open the door and walk in. He just came into the room. He didn't care that there was a door or a wall or anything there. Jesus can do that. You can't do that, but Jesus can do that, right? You might be able to do that one day, but you can't do that today, okay? So don't don't listen to coast to coast and think that you you too can do those types of things because you can't do that right now. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He poof, right there, he's in the room. And he says, peace. Peace to you. And I mean, he went straight for Thomas. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. He knew exactly what Thomas had said eight days previous. Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. You know what Jesus just told him to do? He said, repent, Thomas. Repent. Think differently. You're thinking like an unbeliever. You need to begin to think like a believer. 
I didn't call you to be unbelieving. I called you to be believing. I didn't choose you to be an unbeliever. I chose you to be a believer. Be a believer. This is what it means to repent, to think differently. Thomas needed to repent. He needed to think differently. He didn't really believe Jesus was resurrected. Jesus says, I'll show you. And then Jesus gives us a message. He goes on, he says, Thomas, verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. You haven't handled his wounds, but do you believe? See, the message Jesus, what Jesus said to Thomas, he's saying to every one of us today, he's telling us to be believing. Do not be unbelieving. It doesn't matter whether you've seen me or not. Believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Then we can go to the book of Acts and see that after his ascension, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit as a sign and a seal of his peace toward all who trust in him. That night, outside of Bethlehem, when the heavenly host proclaimed, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Do you know when that became a sure reality, an eternal reality? God sent us a sign and a seal to let us know that he wasn't just blowing smoke that night. That those angels weren't just singing a nice Christmas carol. That he had forgotten his promise. That he has made known to us from the very beginning of the scripture to the very end of the scripture. He sent his spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost as a sign and a seal of his peace toward us. That we are no longer the enemies of God, but we are indeed now the children of God if we will, through faith, trust in Him and enter into this life that He has made possible for us by His birth, by His death, and by His resurrection. Do you believe, church? Do you believe? If you don't believe, you need to repent. Think differently. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. This is what the Scripture commands of us. You all seen this bumper sticker? No Jesus, K-N-O-W. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, N-O. No Jesus, no peace. It's the truth. It really is. Ephesians 2.14. He is our peace. Christ is our peace. The only way to know him, the only way to know his peace is to repent, for he himself is our peace. You say, well, I've repented. I've I've been born again, Pastor Jeff. See, I don't think repentance is just a one-time thing. And I don't think repentance is a dirty word. So we here is again, we play, we, we need to play this word association game more often. You need to stop and think about certain words and then what you associate with those words, like we did that with apocalypse. We associate the wrong thing with apocalypse. We think more of nuclear bombs than we do Jesus when we hear the word apocalypse, and it should not be. When we hear the word repent, we don't like that word because we feel like it somehow maybe, maybe more people might think I'm a sinner if I, I talk about repenting. So 
when you think of the word repent, when you hear that word, think about how you're thinking. Does your thinking ever need to be changed? Do you ever need to think differently? Does that mean you're in some gross sin? No, it doesn't. Do believers who have been washed by the blood of Jesus, who are now as righteous as Jesus is righteous, do believers need to think differently? Absolutely they do. And if, if, if the word repent means to think differently, then, then we need to all repent all the time. I do. It's not a dirty word. Don't think of it as a dirty word. We need to sometimes catch ourselves and say, hey, whoa, whoa, you know, I'm just thinking wrong. I shouldn't be thinking that way. I have a bad attitude. You know, I should have more hope than that. You know, I should have more faith than that. Man, think about the promise of God. Why, why am I doubting? I shouldn't doubt. I should believe. Now, does that mean God's going to do everything you ask Him to do? Absolutely not. He's not obligated to. And, and if He doesn't do everything you ask Him to do, then you also should not stop believing in Him. He's God, you're not. But sometimes we need to repent. Sometimes we need to think differently. And sometimes we let this life and the cares of this life become so overwhelming for us, it robs us of His peace. Sometimes our past is so dark and so sullied that we think God could never love us. God could never accept us. Now, I deal with a lot of people who, who, who seem to believe this. Who are just convinced that God could never save them because what they've done is so horrible. They need to repent. Not only of their sin, but they need to repent of, of who they believe God is and what God is capable of doing. And how vast and how deep and how powerful the love of God is. Because the love of God is more powerful than any sin you've ever committed. The love of God sent Christ Jesus to this earth before you were ever born, before you ever committed your first sin. Or maybe you're trusting in your goodness today. Well, if you're trusting in your goodness, then your goodness is nothing more than sin. Because your goodness doesn't get you anything. But are you trusting in His goodness? Is your sin so big that you can't see the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus? Oh, you need to think differently. Because the cleansing power of His blood is greater than any stain of sin that exists in your life. Are you facing a situation that just seems, seems overwhelming and hopeless and you just have no clue how you're going to figure this out? And it's like one, of my, like one of my favorite movies. Oh, brother, where art thou? George Clooney says, we're in a tight spot, boys. Are you in a tight spot? There's no spot so tight that God can't get you out of it. And if you believe that your spot is so tight, God is incapable, you need to repent. You need to think differently. You need to begin to see Him differently. You need to begin to know Him differently. You do. Fear takes root in your mind and in your heart. 
Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Peace needs to take root in the same place, in our heart and in our mind. James, in his letter, talks about sin. Where does it begin? It begins in our mind. And when we let it stay there long enough, it will conceive and give birth and ultimately bring forth death. See, this is how fear takes hold of us and holds us captive. We let fear take root in our mind. And the reason we let fear take root in our mind is because we've not made provision for His peace. Because we have not repented, we have not changed our thinking. We've not trusted in the power of God to transform us and to renew our mind and to change the way we think and to allow His peace to take root in our heart and in our mind. Peace is a fruit, remember? It's produced. It's a fruit of the Spirit. His peace is produced as you are transformed by the renewing of your mind in the knowledge of Christ. Now don't go buy a bunch of books and try to figure out how to get more peace because you're not going to get any peace that way. Because your peace isn't produced in the knowledge of peace. Peace is produced in the knowledge of Christ. Just like all the fruits are. Don't go buy a book and try to figure out how you can love better. Grow in the knowledge of Christ and you will love because love is a fruit because God is love. Joy is the same thing. True joy is not just your ability to laugh or have a great sense of humor. Joy is much greater than that. We can have joy in the darkest of circumstances. We can. You don't have to be happy. Happiness and joy are not necessarily synonymous. You can have great joy even though you're not very happy about your circumstances. Why? Because you're, the, the source of your joy it must not be, it never is and never will be your circumstance, good or bad. The source of your joy is Him. He is your joy. Just like He is your peace. Just like He is love. So these are things that are produced in our life. And they're produced as we are transformed by the renewing of our mind in the knowledge of Christ. Fear is contrary to peace. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is the knowledge of God's complete love for you in Christ. 1 John 4, 16-18, this is what the Scripture talks about. It's not your perfect love. It's not you loving God perfectly. It's you understanding, comprehending getting a revelation of His complete love for you. It will cast away your fear. Well, what if I die, Pastor? He's overcome death. Now, I know it's real easy for me to stand here and say that. I'm not dying right now. Well, I am. You know, but we don't think of it that way either. You know, we're all dying, right? Yesterday's gone. You're not going to get it back. Half of today's gone, you're not going to get that back either. Eventually, when enough hours go by and enough days go by, we're going to depart this earth. But Jesus told us not to fear death. 
Now, how do we know that we don't have to fear death? Because he's overcome it. How do we know? Because he's not in the tomb in Jerusalem any longer. He's risen. He has overcome death. If we don't get a revelation of that, if we don't... See, this goes back to this concept of perspective. That's my future. My future is is to overcome death. This body will die one day, but I won't die. This body will cease to, to live, but I will live forever. So I need to stop trying to figure out how to make this body last forever. I need to rest in the reality and the fact that I am an eternal being in Christ Jesus and I have no fear of death. And He's going to determine how long I'm going to be on this planet. And however long that may be, He controls that. I need to have peace concerning that. And if I know who He is, and I know what He's done, and I understand the salvation He has brought to me in Christ Jesus, That gives me great peace when I could have much opportunity to fear. But when I understand what His perfect love has done for me, it casts away all fear. And that doesn't come automatically, church. You guys know that. I know you know that. You grow into that as you grow in the knowledge of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 12 and 13. I'm not going to read it, but you can read it. Paul says, in that day, you're going to look in a mirror and you will be known. You will know even as you are known. See, the problem is we don't know who we are. We, have, we live with a chronic identity crisis. God knows perfectly who we are. He sees us. Now it's hot in here. He sees us. I'm sweating now. Thank God it's almost over with. My head is wet. Wow. <laughs> I got myself all worked up here. We have a chronic identity crisis. We do. We don't know who we are in Christ. We look in the mirror and see ourselves and see our failings and our imperfection, but God doesn't see us that way. He sees us in the light of His Son. And we need to see ourselves in the light of His Son, not, not so we can go on living the way that we've been living, justifying our failure, but so that we have hope that as He is, so are we in this world. A mind that has not been renewed to the knowledge of Christ. Christ, who is perfect love. That mind will lack peace. For His peace to reign in your heart, you must know Him. Why? For He is your peace. When you think of peace, I don't want you to think of peace as a thing. I want you to think of peace as a person. Just like when you think of love, don't just think of love as a thing, as an emotion. I want you to think of love as a person. God is love. Christ is your peace. Salvation is not the end, but the beginning of a journey of growing to know Him. This is the power of repentance. To think differently, to acknowledge our need, and to know His peace. Turn to Philippians 4, and we're going to end here. Philippians 4, verse 4. Philippians 4.4, 4. Paul's writing here, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, period. Don't add anything to that. That's not conditional. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, but, no, leave the butt off, okay? Just don't go there. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
And again, I say, in case you forgot, in case you missed it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious, be fearful, be stressed out for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. To repent is to think differently. And Paul very practically tells us here how we should think and what we should think on and how we shouldn't think and what we shouldn't think on. And then he says in verse 9, These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. You should underline or highlight that right there in your Bible. These do. See, if these things that we talk about are just concepts, Oh, repentance, that's a nice concept. Oh, to think differently. You know, I never knew that about repentance. That's, that's really kind of cool. If, if these are just all cool concepts and principles, but we never do these, it doesn't do us much good, does it? We can know To repent is to think differently all day, but until we begin to think differently, that knowledge won't help us much. I heard someone one time talking, they were having a discussion about being depressed. This person was going on and on about being depressed. And they were asked. Finally, they said, you know, why, why am I depressed? And the guy just simply said, because you think depressing thoughts all the time. If I thought the way you thought, I'd be depressed too. Now, I'm not minimizing. I'm not saying it's that simple. But, but at the same time, let's not overcomplicate it. Okay? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, talks about us having the power to bring our thoughts into captivity. You have the power to do that through the Holy Spirit that lives in you. The problem is, sometimes we just don't do that because we like to, I don't know, we just seem to like those thoughts sometimes. And we need to ask ourselves, why am I continuously in this thought pattern? Repent, think differently. Paul says, think on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw, these do. I mean, how genius is Nike? It's the truth. Just do it. It gets down to, we're going to keep filling our heads with knowledge. We're going to keep learning, but never coming into a knowledge of the truth. Somewhere along the way, church, 
We got to do it. I can't forgive him. I can't forgive her. No, you can. You just need to do it. But it still hurts. The fact that it still hurts has nothing to do with whether you've forgiven them or not. It may hurt for a long time, but you can choose to release that anger. You can choose to release that bitterness and let it go, even in the midst of your pain. And you can trust God to heal you of that pain. And He will. I told someone this week, I said, you know, it's kind of like every time you go back to this and every time you bring this up, I said, it's like a wound. and You keep picking at that wound. You keep picking at it, it's never going to heal. Leave it alone, let it go, and let God heal it. And move on. But the wound, but, but I was wounded. Yes, you were wounded, but you can't change that fact. I always tell people, you can't change your past, but you can change your future. And that begins by repenting, by thinking differently, by acknowledging your need. In church, if we'll be faithful to do that, we'll know His peace. We will. Let's all stand. God is good. He is faithful. He has given to us such great and precious promises. This is what His coming is about. This is what we're celebrating. God made it possible for us to know His peace, to have hope, even in the midst of this dark world. His light has, will, will always overcome the darkness. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Christ, who is the living Word. Lord, not just a word of ink on paper, but Lord, the living Word, Jesus Christ, the Word who, Lord, dwelt among us and became flesh. The Word whose glory we behold by faith as of the only Son of God. Lord, we thank You that You have given us hope. You have given us peace. There is power in repentance. And there is power in the peace that You give us that is produced by the life of Christ in us. That peace has the power to surpass all understanding, to overcome every care, every obstacle, everything in our life. Though it doesn't make sense, nonetheless, it is real. And we pray today, God, that we would know You And so know your peace. That you would give us the grace, God, the power, the ability to repent, to think differently. Whether we're in sin or whether we are in Christ, delivered from our sin, God, we need you and we need to be a people that is constantly thinking differently from this world system and this old nature. Lord, that's only possible in you and through you. And we ask you today, by the power of your Spirit in us, to perform what only you can perform and to do what only you can do. And we will be careful to give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. God bless you.
Hey, Micah Bonnie is graduating from college Friday. Micah, where are you? There he is, way in the back. Congratulations. Yeah. Praise God. God bless 